Hello, 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 my friends. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 52, and it's our final installment of our series called Glenn's Friends, and I'm kind of sad about that um, because I had a lot of fun with the series. Uh, every week, I've been bringing on a different uh, guest, a different one of my friends, and we've been talking about uh, various aspects of faith and God and theology, and it's been a lot of fun. So I think, I don't know, maybe we'll make this like the first um, round of this series, and maybe we'll do it again um, sometime in 2020. We'll bring on some more friends, and we'll we'll pick their brains um, as well, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, today, we're going to hear from my friend Jamal Javanji, and uh, he is an author, a thinker, a podcaster. Uh, so he just released a new book called Living for a Living, which we're going to talk about today. And uh, oh, look, there's my email dinging because I didn't turn down the volume on my computer. And no, I won't edit that out because that's just how I am. I just kind of roll with it. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> anyway. Uh, Jamal is an author, uh, brand new book, Living for a Living. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, he's also the uh, co-host of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. And if you have not checked out that podcast, uh, you need to. It is one of my go-to podcasts every week. He has his own podcast as well, equally as awesome, called The Lovecast. Go check that out. And uh, just an overall amazing human being doing really good things in the world, and uh, I'm excited to share his voice with you um, today. A couple of things. Uh, number one, What If Project uh, has the has a Patreon account. So if you go to patreon.com slash whatifproject, you will see different ways that you can support the show. Uh, anywhere ranging from a $3 a month tier all the way up to $30 a month. Uh, there are different rewards for the different tiers. And uh, it's just a really good place for you to go to, uh, support the show, if the show has supported you at all in your life, in your journey, and your walk with God. So head over there, check that out, patreon.com slash whatifproject. Some more shirts are still available. Um, a few weeks ago, I uh, released a shirt called the LGBTQ Inclusion Shirt. I'm on the front of it. It says, love uh, the sinner, hate the sin. But everything is crossed out except the word love. And in the middle of the O um, is a rainbow. Uh, so go check that out. It's really cool. Uh, people have been buying them. They are $24.99. Um, they will be available for another couple of days. And then the campaign ends and the shirts are printed and they are shipped. And you should have it within a few days of that happening. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Um, also, it's all over my Facebook page. You can go check that out. Um, as well. It's there. It's cool. Um, I got one, and it's it's really nice. I was actually very impressed. The shirt is nice and soft. Uh, the print is very crisp and clean, and uh, it's really cool. So go and check that out. Uh, special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. That is Young Y-U-N-G Citizen. He's a hip-hop artist here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, really cool guy doing just good things in the world as well. Um, I love him because he's not just talented with music, uh, but he's talented with people, and he's making a difference in his community, and uh, you should just go check him out. So I'm going to put all the links to his stuff in the show notes as well. Uh, he released a brand new album that I have on my phone. Uh, I listen to it often, and you definitely should as well. So 
all of that to say, uh, again, this is episode number 52, and it's my chat with Jamal Javanji. So enjoy, and I'll talk to you later. Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, my name is Glenn, and today we are joined by another one of my friends. His name is Jamal Javanji. Uh, he's a life coach, uh, co-host over at the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, uh, host of his own love cast, and uh, he's written some books, his latest being Living for a Living, which we're going to talk about today. So Jamal, welcome to the podcast. It's awesome to have you. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been, I've heard so many great things about this podcast and it's just, I feel very honored to, uh, to be on your show. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And thank you for sending me your book too. It is fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you, glad you enjoyed it and it was a good read for you. I love it. So before we jump into that, um, maybe could you spend a few minutes just sharing your story with us? Like, who are you? Uh, what do you do? Some of the bigger highlights of your, your life journey. Totally, totally. Well, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, and that would make me a Buckeye fan. And <laughs> I've uh, I grew, born and raised there. And uh, my dad actually. Uh, so my parents. I'll tell you a little bit about my parents. My dad uh, grew up in on an island uh, called Zanzibar, which is um, uh, part of the, the East African country of Tanzania right now. But he grew up uh, under the British system. It was a British colony when he was there, and uh, he comes from a a Shiite Muslim background. And um, my mom grew up in Southern, Southeastern Ohio and grew up on a farm. And so very different culture. <laughs> right. Uh, but they were pen pals for about six, over six years and wrote to each other. And that's how they, he eventually proposed to her in a letter. They had never met and they eventually got <laughs> together. It's kind of a, it's an amazing story, wow. uh, but that's, that's kind of how I got here on the planet. And I grew up in a mixed, mixed faith household. So my dad was devout Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my mom was devout Catholic. And so I would go to the mosque on the weekends, um, with, I had an older brother and, uh, we would go to the mosque on the weekends. Um, and then, uh, we'd go to Catholic schools during the week. And mm-hmm. so it was, it was, it was, uh, I, I was always, I would always classify myself as a spiritual seeker. Always wanted to know what life was about. Why are we here? I mean, I just, I had those questions from as earliest ages I can remember. Hmm. And uh, so I was trying to figure it out. And of course, I was getting very different, in some ways, very different worldviews from both my mom and my dad. But in a lot of ways, they were similar as well. So um, I had to navigate that. And um, Hmm. it was it was very, very challenging um, in some in some regards. Um, uh, And I get into that in my book a lot, you know, just how how that shaped me and formed me. And uh, but really, the, the picture, I mean, um, my, my, my experience with the religious kind of world was that, um, you, God was somebody to be afraid of, um, mm. but also but somebody to also be appeased. And I would watch my mom and dad kind of jump through the, the, the religious hoops to, to, to be a good person, to be obedient. And they both really had a heart to please God, but it was the question, what I perceived was, man, you never really get to that point. What, at what point do you feel like, 
oh, well, God's pleased. I never felt that. And the, it was almost like they were trying to appease God, but they wanted peace, but never got the peace. So I was like, I don't really understand the point of this. Um, so your mom as a Catholic and your dad as a Muslim, same kind of approach. To, oh, totally. Yeah. Just different, you know, it's kind of like just different rules, different yeah. playbook, so to speak, but hmm. really the same philosophy. Um, and that's and a lot of people, you know, may, you know, depending on what your background is, then they may find that offensive or they may, but there is, it's like, and then my dad eventually converted to Catholicism um, later, um, later on in my life. Hmm. And um, it was almost like changing jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, it was a very, very similar philosophy and approach to God and to the world, huh. uh, which I found to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, I eventually became a born-again evangelical Christian around, um, around when I was 18, and that eventually led me to Bible college to, to get into ministry. So I ended up going to Liberty University and studying huh. for the ministry, eventually planted a church, uh, went down that road for <laughs> quite a while. Yep. And um, really started to see through a lot of uh, that whole world, the evangelical mm-hmm. world. And um, that came unraveling for me several years later. And, um, and then eventually it led me into writing mm-hmm. um, and making some discoveries. And now um, I'm a life coach and uh, I really feel like I've discovered the reason, uh, the path that I'm supposed to be on. It's taken quite a while, but I've, I'm loving it. Hmm. That's awesome. When you say that you're, you uh, went evangelical and then things began to unravel for you, was there a particular moment when things began to unravel? Was there something that happened that caused that kind of bottom block to be pulled out? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there, there are a few things. Um, I think, well, part of my mindset, and, and, I, I, and I really believe I was wired this way on purpose, I'm always asking the deeper questions like, mm. what, uh, what, what is, and so I, I you know, I'm trying to find out what is the the essence of, so I got into Christianity as, as a new, you know, new convert yeah. uh, around 18. And um, there was a guy in my, in my life, he was kind of a mentor figure in my life at the time. And he was also a deacon at this Baptist <laughs> church that, which I got, you know, connected to and he sure. was a leader there, but he really, I really appreciated the way he, he was always questioning things, even though he was a part of the, the church leadership culture. He was always questioning the culture. And I remember as a young kind of, you know, young, a young guy at 18 and also a young convert learning just not to be afraid to ask questions. And I was always a question asker, even as a child. So Mm. he would ask questions. What about this? What about that? And so I I came to the conclusion. And then of course, in my, um, in my idealism and naivety, I was like, well, you know, obviously if, if I, you know, I see all the problems with the quote unquote American church system and it just how it so deviates from what I would read in the New Testament, mm-hmm. read in the book of Acts. It just seems so different. And so I thought, well, of course I'll do it differently Then when I'm a pastor. I'll just, I'll just follow the script, so to speak. Right. Was, you know, that's, I mean, who, who doesn't say that, you know, but exactly. at the time I'm like, ah, oh, this is a revolutionary thought. We'll, we'll be an <laughs> Acts church, just like the book of Acts and we'll right. do it the way it's supposed the to be. First done. church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I spent about, you know, so after about two years of after our, you know, we were part of a network of churches in the mm-hmm. central Ohio area and they, 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 they helped establish us. And, um, you know, after about two years and we had our own staff and that whole thing. And I, I just thought, okay, there's no one I can blame because I'm leading this thing. Mm. And I was really unsatisfied, just had this deep sense of this is not 
it. There's, this is not the thing. Hmm. And so I, a question I always had, and I didn't know how to articulate it was, okay, so the evangelical world, the evangelical message is, you know, here's the focus is the gospel, so to speak, what they call the gospel, the good news. And so it would, and really what that boiled down to is, well, that's what this, what, what the gospel means is Jesus died on the cross for your sins rose from the dead on the third day and you need to believe that so you can go to heaven when you die. Hmm. And then I started to just, I don't, I don't know what it was about that message. It just seemed like, is that it? Is that really the, is that really the good news? Because <laughs> how good is what that? About, <laughs> right. And it's like when Jesus, like I would read things through the, in the gospels where it said that he went, he went out proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Um, everywhere he went. And of course I thought, well, that couldn't have been the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus because that hadn't happened yet. Mm. Um, and it wasn't, you know, this concept of you need to believe these certain things so you don't go to hell when you die. That was not a part of that message yeah. because that none of that had been developed. Mm. And just historically speaking, it had not, that message was not a historical, you know, first century message, number one, but what it it didn't even, those historical events hadn't even happened yet. So Mm. clearly the message Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom had nothing to do with that. So I'm like, well, what is that message? Because if that's the gospel Jesus was talking about and we want to emulate him, like, why aren't we, what is it? First of all, what's that message? I've never heard it. Number two two (laughs) is like, why are we not talking about this? Because Mm. if he's proclaiming good news, and he calls that the gospel. What we're calling the gospel is something quite different. And that yeah. was like the, 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 it was, a, it was just like a, a, something no one ever talked about. But I had that question, like, guys, I, I don't, I think there's another message here that we're not hitting on. Hmm. And I just always wanted to find that. And I just feel like after two, I felt like after two and a half years into my, so I was ended up being a pastor for about a little over four years two and a half years into this and all the benchmarks were looking good. You know, what we were trained to call the three B's buildings, bodies, and budgets. This yep. is how you I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. This is how you define success as a local church. I just started the twitch. You said that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And it was all looking good, but then I was like, why am I so discontent? Yeah. Uh, why don't I feel like this? And so, you know, that, that eventually led me to, do some exploratory like international trips. I remember traveling overseas. I went and spent some time in the Middle East and, you know, China, Tibet, India, those places. And that just, mm-hmm. those experiences of seeing people um, outside of the Western context and just how, just, just even understanding some spiritual issues outside of the Western Christian context. It helped me uh, just get a grasp. Like there's so much out here mm-hmm. that, I'm not aware of, and I don't even have the language for it. So even if God would to quote unquote, speak to me and show me and tell me these things, like I wouldn't have a grid for it. So, so I, there's just, I just felt like that was a turning point to answer your question. Hmm. Uh, that was one turning point about two and a half years in just recognizing and becoming conscious of my discontent for the, for the very thing I said, I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to build a religious system uh, in the way that I had seen um, after two and a half years, that's exactly what I had done. And even though it was not my intention to do that, hmm. I had just continued the problem. <laughs> and that's yeah. when I, um, I just knew there was something else that I was, I was not seeing. And uh, I wanted to discover what is this message of the good news that Jesus proclaimed that, that we're actually not proclaiming now because we're talking about 
um, where to go when we die, you yeah. know, which primarily was not the message of, it was not at all the message of Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm going to ask you uh, more about that in a minute. Uh, that's going to lead into one of my questions, but uh, before we do, your book is called living for a living. And I want to open up with this question. I like to ask authors um, if they could give me like the elevator pitch for their book. So like uh, you're in an Uber, uh, the driver asks what you do. You're like five minutes away from the destination. You're like, yeah, I'm a life coach. I'm an author. I wrote this book, you know, living for a living. He says, well, why should I buy your book? And what does it mean to live for a living? Uh, what's your answer? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I guess the, the elevator pitch or the nutshell um, answer to that is when people ask the question, what is it that you do for a living? They're really asking, what is it that you do to make money to pay the bills? Exactly. <laughs> and I like to say that that's not actually living, that's mm-hmm. surviving. So living for a living is about actually living because people are trying to make money, pay the bills so they can get to living. So they mm-hmm. can say, okay, if we take care of the basics, then eventually we can enjoy the life. But that never, like you're, you're, you're literally spending your life trying to live without actually living. Mm-hmm. And so living for a living is, is, is simply living in such a way that you're not living for survival, but you're living from the place of love Mm. and for love and to love. And so it's moving from an economy of survival to an economy of love. So um, Mm. that's the nutshell essence of what living for living is about because most of our life, I've honestly like that's the folk that's, that's the elephant in the room that from, you know, we're, the society and everything that you know, even our parents and how we're raised a lot for most folks, it's, you, you need to figure out, um, first of all, you need to get good grades in school <laughs> so you can get <laughs> yep. a good job <laughs> yeah, so that you can make money. And, and you got to get 10 years of bills. experience and then maybe they'll hire you. <laughs> totally. Totally. And then <laughs> yeah. eventually you do that for a while and yeah. maybe 30 years or so, and then you retire and then you can, then maybe you can think about, enjoying the life that you have but but that how long will that last maybe 10 or 15 years so um the short answer is (laughs) living for a living is really about moving from an economy of survival to an economy um, of love which is really where i believe we begin to experience the essence of what uh the life that we were designed to have that's really good i think for me that was one of the my biggest takeaway from the book is just a even just a shift in my thinking because you know i work a retail job um, at apple and i'm there 40 hours a week and I do this, you know, podcasting and blogging and all this kind of stuff on the side. And after reading your book, I've kind of shifted that in my thinking to this is my, this is my gig. This is the thing that I love to do. This is what brings life to me. Um, Apple, right this moment is a necessary thing in my life, but I have begun to view that more as my part-time gig and this more as my full-time thing. And uh, mm-hmm. that was a big takeaway for me, I think, in just helping me to uh, quote, live more for a living. So oh, that's fantastic. That's yeah. Fantastic. So thank you for that. Oh, you're um, welcome. So you kind of articulated pretty well uh, the uh, typical evangelical understanding of the gospel. And it's that mm-hmm. idea that God is, you know, ticked at my sin and somebody's got to be punished. So Jesus mm-hmm. raises his hand and says, I'll do it. And apparently takes my punishment, which is supposed to be to be brutally murdered on a cross. <laughs> and then I, you know, I, I believe in that and I go to heaven when I die instead of hell. And now my job is to tell everybody about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your book, uh, specifically, I think it's in chapter four, um, you kind of walk us through a little bit of an 
alternate way of thinking about Jesus's message. So I was wondering if you could maybe talk to us, talk us through that a little bit, because a lot of our listeners are also from that evangelical world. And then maybe tell us why like an alternate understanding of the gospel message is crucial uh, for living for a living. Mm, that's, a, that's a great question. And yeah, I, I did touch on that a little bit. So th- th- this aspect of, you know, so the idea of Christian, even the word Christian is to be, uh, I think the way it was given, it was given towards believers in the first century by, yeah. by other folks. And they, it was like those folks who imitate, you know, Christ. So little Christ. Idea, yeah. The little Christ to, Im- yeah. to be these imitators. So, so the idea is that if we're going to imitate Jesus, um, then part of that would be to imitate his focus, hmm. his imitate like, okay, so what did he focus on? What was he all about? So in even, even the evangelical world, quote unquote, it's cool to be all about Jesus and to talk about Jesus and what do you believe about Jesus and all of these things about Jesus. But, hmm. um, and that becomes the focus of our message. But if you look at Jesus' message, that was not the focus. He was not talking about himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which may be like, Oh, shocking for some people. Like, <laughs> right. What do you mean? He wasn't like, I don't actually think he cares mm-hmm. uh, what you think about, you know, his, uh, is he, is he human? Is he God? Is he, you know, what's the idea? How do you, you know, parse the, uh, the, the nuances of who he is as a person. He stood for something with his mm-hmm. life and he, he embodied what I would call an ethos or a, a new way to be human. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times, and human beings are, you know, what I would, there's a term called mimetic, comes from uh, uh, this French philosopher by the name of Rene Girard, who my co-host on here to copy our podcast, Matt DiStefano, he loves, he loves uh, Rene Girard and <laughs> mimetic theory. I see that word all over Facebook. <laughs> so, totally, totally. But the idea is that human beings are, we mirror each other. You know, if you think about it, we, we couldn't speak without you know, at, at an early age, listening to other humans speak. That's how yeah. we learned to speak. We couldn't eat. We couldn't walk. All the things that we do, um, we, we, learn, we learn by mirroring. And, that, and we actually have mirror neurons in our, in our body. We, that's, that's how we empathize. That's all the, all the things that, that it takes to be human. We, we literally learn from mirroring and emulating. And so this idea that human beings need a standard to look at and to emulate is pretty, pretty key, even on an individual basis, but also on a collective basis as well. And so Jesus, this idea that Jesus came and said, okay, I'm going to give you a new way. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a standard so that human beings can look and say, this is what it looks like to be human. Mm. This is what it looks like to live your life. So when he says, I am the way, the truth and the life, um, I don't believe he's appealing to ego. Like, okay, you have to know. Like, it was just like this idea like, okay, look at my life, the way I'm living. I'm this way. I'm this new way. So the idea is that Jesus, I think in chapter four of that book, of my book, it says, you know, that is he, you know, Jesus, you know, um, he's, is, he, is he a new way to be human but, or, or is he a guru to be right. followed? Is that yep. an essence of that? And I don't believe he's the, you know, he's building a cult or some, you know, cult personality in which it's all about the founder. Because again, we lose the essence because what, what do we have today? All, we, all a person has to do is look at the history of Christianity and people love to worship Jesus, talk about Jesus, emphasize who Jesus is, you know, as a person. But when it comes to the way of Jesus, of love, radical love, 
radical acceptance, inclusivity, inclusivity, uh, that word, I, say, I talk yeah, hard. I always messed that up too. It. You did good. <laughs> but, <laughs> you got but, it. The, but the essence of that, uh, of these, these, the, of what it means to be uh, someone who emulates Jesus, these things are lost on Christians because mm. they're focused on ideas about who Jesus is and is are really more important. And it's almost like they're fans of Jesus, but when it comes to following the way mm. um, that's really kind of foreign because I think what we're looking at um, is, is the person and not the actual way or the transcendent message that goes beyond the person Jesus who lived 2000 years ago. So mm. um, that's why I really believe it's important because what did Jesus model in his life? Well, I find it fascinating that the very first thing he began to address in his public ministry was this whole thing of what do you do for a living? Mm. <laughs> this is the first thing he talked about Matthew chapter six. He's like, okay guys. And he's pointing out the way the world works. He's going, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear mm. because isn't life about more than just food or clothing. This is a fundamental a question of our existence. Like, Hey, what is this thing that we're doing here? What's it about this life that we're living? Isn't it about more than just like buying clothes? And like buying food and survive, basically saying, isn't it about more than survival? He's mm. questioning the the premise of life, which we're given, which is, hey, you got to survive. You got to earn money. You got to eat. You got to put food on the table. He's questioning the whole thing. So isn't life about more than that? And that is the crux of his message because mm. it's like, what are you going to do with this life that you have? And um, that's why I feel like it's really important to understand like, okay, this message, the good news of the kingdom that Jesus preached had everything to do with how we're living here and now. It had nothing to do with fear, had nothing to do with the afterlife in that sense. It was, it was really predominantly about what, where is the focus? Where's your focus going to go? Cause you can either focus on, you know, survival, which is really where the economy of the world is. That's why when Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, I don't think he's, people interpret that as to demonize money. I don't right. think it's about that at all. It's like, mm -hmm. no, no, the system of the world where money comes from is all about scarcity and how do you survive? Hmm. And, you, and if you're going to live with your energetic focus there, you can't really put your energetic focus on the things that God has designed you for, which has nothing to do with survival, <clears throat> but that has everything to do with love. And, you know, God is love. And so we're beings made in the image and likeness of love. So, Therefore, our, our focal point in life would have, like, how do I best give and receive love, which mm. is kind of a simplistic, but I think an accurate way to say, hey, our life has something to do with this, and this should be the focal point and really is the focal point of our existence. Mm. But, um, but, he's, but, but really what gets in the way of that is this need to survive. So, and, and then the religious world comes in and says, you know, and you, in, in order to survive, and it's a playoff, the survival fear base, it's like this, you know, fight or flight. Um, mechanism in our brain, which is a very primitive way of to to operate, and we even communicate. When I say we, I'm talking about the evangelical world. A lot of times, communicates what do you do with your beliefs about God? Based, it, it appeals to this very primitive fear survival. You have to believe these certain things so God doesn't murder you. Hmm. Um, like it's this appeal to survival, even how we approach God. That's true. Um, hmm. And and again, I believe Jesus is offering us a completely new way of thinking about this when he says, look, isn't life about something more than survival? 
Mm. Um, and that's the, that's the starting point of his good news, uh, of his message. Mm. So I do believe that's an essential. And he said, look, if you don't, you know, follow, I am the way, so I want you to embody this new way. Jesus was profoundly non-anxious. Mm. Jesus was profoundly unburdened um, with, uh, with lots of things, which kind of you know, may seem like, wow, if people were dying and going to hell, then you might want to be burdened about that. Right. that be pretty shaken up about it. Yeah, totally. And it did, yeah. it wasn't, he said, look, if you're tired and tired and heavy laden and stressed out, people were stressed out trying to appease God, follow the law mm-hmm. earn money earn a living. I mean, that's, that's, these are hard burdens to carry. And, and Jesus said, if you're, if you're tired, tired and heavy laden, come to me, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy when you think about it. So yeah. I, I really believe the essence of that, has to do with what the focus is. And uh, again, he modeled that for us. And, and, um, and this had nothing to do with our beliefs about who he is fundamentally. It's just about a new way to be human. Yeah. That's just my understanding of that. Yeah, I think so too. I was talking to somebody the other day about this very idea. We were talking about Matthew, uh, I think it's Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about the son of man separating the, sheeps, the sheep and the goats. And uh, everybody always points to that. Uh, especially in in my upbringing in the evangelical world was, well, there's the proof right there that some are going to go to heaven and some are going to go to hell. So, okay, we we can talk about that in in the passage, but the whole point of the passage is kind of what you were saying is that, you know, Jesus isn't son of man, not separating people based upon what they believe, but the separation is coming based upon how people are living their life um, Mm -hmm. and a life of love and a life of uh, grace and inclusion and how they treat the stranger and all these different kinds of things. So I think even at the very end of Jesus's life, that's still the main, the main focus. Mm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Mm. That's really good. That's really good. So um, leading off of that um, later on in the book, you, you make this, this statement that really caught me off guard. So I want to read it to you. Um, you just say, uh, I think it's cha- chapter nine. It says, everything is fine right now. Um, then you kind of go into explaining that. And in other words, kind of like right now, right here, me, uh, Glenn Siepert, I have no problems, you say in the book. Um, and then you say this, if something doesn't seem right, it's our perception of a past event or of an unknown future that is causing the anxiety. Um, so that brought up a question in my mind. And I was wondering, uh, what would you say to the person who maybe would push back on that? Like you say, you know, you just said that Jesus, right? Jesus isn't stressed about anything. Uh, he doesn't show any forms of anxiety um, in his life. So what do you say to the person who would say, like, you don't know my life. Like I'm on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, maybe my son is in rehab for a drug addiction. I just found out my, my spouse has been cheating on me. Like everything is not okay. Everything might never be okay again. Like, what is your response to that person? Because when I read that paragraph, I, I immediately thought of all the things in my life that I would think are wrong. <laughs> and there's not like a lot of things, but immediately all the problems popped up in my life. And I'm like, everything is not okay right now, uh, but you say it is. So how do you respond to that? Uh, what a great question, first of all. Um, well, you know, I'll share this tidbit. And this is one of the things I do in, in coaching uh, when I'm coaching with folks is um, th- there's a, there's been these studies done about folks who, who deal with depression and folks mm-hmm. and, um, and depression is obviously, I think a lot of folks have suffered with, I know I've dealt with that. It's, it's very, when you're in it, it's really intense yep. and, um, and debilitating. And, but what they've done with folks who have, who struggle with depression is they've kind of analyzed their thought patterns. Mm. 
And so there, there tends to be, there's a pattern. Um, there, there are really three patterns to um, the thinking process of folks who struggle with depression. And the first one is that people struggle with depression tend to focus on things that they have no control over. Hmm. And of course that leads to a feeling of, it, it can lead to an obsessive, kind of obsessive thoughts about, about something that they believe is detrimental to their life, but they have zero ability to affect. Hmm. And so um, it's an unempowered feeling. So that's the first, first kind of component um, to the thinking of folks who struggle with depression. Second one is that they focus on things that they don't have, but they feel like they need, but they don't have it. And so that's obviously you feel very unempowered when you think about that. And the third thing is that, is that they're either dwelling on, they're stuck in some trauma from the past, Hmm. or they're thinking about the future through the lens of the past and fearing there's some anxiety about that thing from the past happening again at mm. some form. And this isn't always conscious. It's, gonna be, it's like an unconscious pattern of thinking about the future through the lens of the past. And so it's this thing. Of, of, then it becomes, there's a resistance to where life is taking us. So we're then trying to resist what we feel like is inevitable. Sure. Um, and that, that is the thinking pattern of people with depression. And so a lot of times, you know, the chemical component with depression is that you have a, you have a chemical in the brain called serotonin, which, you know, if it's at a certain level, you're fine. But then once it dips below a certain level, you become clinically what they call clinical, clinically depressed. And um, because you need this chemical serotonin to be able to function. So what a psychiatrist will do a lot of times is they'll prescribe some uh, a medication to boost the serotonin levels. And serotonin is naturally boosted, you know, just in, in nature through, you know, through sleep, uh, through certain kinds of foods, that kind of thing. But when you are in the fight or flight response, which is really, it triggers your adrenal glands and all these things. So when you're, when you're feeling threatened and again, going back to the survival kind of base level instinct, it triggers our fight or flight response, which triggers all the stress hormones, which cause the, the serotonin, the chemical in the brain to dump hmm. and end your blow. It's not supposed to do. It's only meant for emergency survival situations when your life is actually threatened. That's the, that's the evolutionary mechanism hmm. in our body. Um, so we're not meant to live in fight or flight. We're actually meant to live in a place of peace and rest. So, but people who have these thought patterns, again, these three thought patterns of I'm focused on things I don't control. I'm focused on things I don't have, and I'm, I'm anxious about the future because I'm looking at it through the lens of the past, tend to be clinically depressed for a reason. It's, the reason is because they're literally in fight or flight mode uh, consci- all constantly. Time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, that, it's, just, it's causing all kinds of havoc. So they've been able to determine that when people can change their thinking, so when, they're, when their thought process changes from Instead of focusing on things I don't control, I focus on only the things I do control. Hmm. Okay, so you just accept, okay, things I, can, okay, I, I can't control, but what can I do about this? What is, what is in my power? Immediately, there's a sense of empowerment and a new hmm. focus. Same thing's true with, instead of focusing on things I don't have, you start to really feel gratitude for, but what do I have going on right now? Hmm. What is it actually I do have in life right now? Immediately, it changes, you start to feel you start to feel more empowered. You start to feel more connected and wealthy, all these things. And then the third part is, this is the kicker though, really the crux of your question is, (laughs) once you realize that whatever happened in the past is the past, Mm. that every moment is new. Like this moment has never happened before. 
Mm. at least in our experience. It's never, it, we've never been here before. So it's literally brand new. So in that, in that moment, anything is possible. Mm. So the only reason patterns repeat is because literally we're, we're, we're coloring the present from the, with the past, but it doesn't mm. have to repeat. Um, um, and so like, you know, the future really doesn't even exist. It's mm. the future is really whatever I do in the present that unfolds. Mm. That's all the future is. And it's just a way of class. Time is always experienced right now. Time is never experienced in the future. You never wake up and go, oh, it's tomorrow. Hmm. It's always today. It's always right now. And I really believe the essence of salvation, like, like, like even it says in the Bible, the salvation today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. The evangelical world always focuses on tomorrow and the afterlife. It's like, no, it's about, you will never experience salvation, which means life. Hmm. And I would say the abundant life, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. You'll never experience that tomorrow. It's always right now. And so if you think about it in this very moment, like right now in this very second that we're speaking, like everything's fine. Hmm. There, there's really no problem. Sure. Any problem <laughs> you may think about yeah. is in the future. It may be five minutes in the future. It may be uh, an hour in the future, maybe tomorrow, but it's never right now because right now everything is just fine mm. and, and we can enjoy the essence the, of, of right now. And I find it interesting that Jesus even said, you want to know what eternal life is? He said, this is eternal life. And he brought, used the, the, the language was right now, knowing like, mm. and really, where do you experience true knowing? I believe it's through experience. I don't think you can really know anything outside of experience. I can know what chocolate's like when I experience it, it's like mm. knowing God, like where, where do you know God right now yeah. in the essence being still and know, how do you know God be, being still, be still and know it's like this play, coming right back to the present moment, knowing God and the one who God has sent, which is incarnation, which, you know, Jesus is saying, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm referring to, to myself here, but even now, like, are we sent? Hmm. And even Jesus said that as I have, the father has sent me. So I send you, we're all sent. So it's this idea of, this is how we experience salvation right now, knowing God and knowing the one who was sent, which is really us, our being, our very essence. Mm. That's my understanding of that. And, and in that moment, you, all the problems go away. That's really good. Could you give us like a, maybe a practical example of what this looks like in your life? So maybe think about like the last, you know, bigger problem or issue that kind of entered into your, your life. Like what, what was your, what is your approach to that? that problem in order to maintain that uh, focus throughout it, like as you're dealing with it. Absolutely. That's a great question. So, so a lot of times, and I'm, you know, I'm, I think I'm probably just like anybody else, you know, when there's a pro when there's a seeming problem comes up on the horizon. So I remember one time I had a financial, a financial challenge come up and I was going to need a, a block of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's the reality. It's like, so again, I'm, I, I'm committed to not, living for a living and not living for survival, but living yeah. for a living. So doesn't mean I don't have bills. Doesn't mean I don't have to pay the bills, all these things. So <laughs> I had this financial challenge come up and immediately I can feel, you can feel it in your body hmm. when there's an anxious thought. It yep. just, you can, you can use immediately. Everything your, tightens up. Yeah. Yep, your muscles tighten, you, your breath changes. You just, yep. you feel it. You don't. So in that moment you're in fight or flight. Hmm. So in fight or flight, I do not believe any good good creative solutions come from that place. Now, mm. maybe there's some, I mean, people can survive on that, but ultimately long-term you want to get out of that state. Mm. So a lot of folks, and I've had people and I, 
deal with this in coaching all the time. People come to me in crisis mode and they're, man, they got bills and it's the same thing with me. Like they have bills, you know, you got to pay. Uh, it's like, man, this is my reality. I can't, I got to pay the mortgage. I got to buy groceries and it's just not there. So it's mm-hmm. nice to think about living for a living. It's nice to think about all these things, but the reality is that's not going to pay the bills. Yeah. And so I've, and I, I totally get it because I live the same life. You know, I get that. But what I, what I tend to do, a practice I will do, is I'll first of all recognize, okay, there's some anxiety and stress here. I'm not going to solve a problem from that place, so I'm not even going to try. Most people are, trying, are feverishly trying to solve the problem yep. from the place of fight or flight. Can't be Which done. creates it's more not. anxiety. Totally does. Right? And then it leads to some bad decisions. Yeah. Some decisions that really are going to get you into more of the hole. Because <laughs> hmm. it, the fear, again, I do not believe fear here makes good decisions. Um, it's just not a good motivator for life, um, mm. for any aspect of life, even, even our spiritual life. So again, we want to get out of that place. So what I do is um, I will introduce, you know, this is a practice that I teach in my coaching, but I also employ it in my own life is I'll come back to my breath, to breathing. And mm. I recognize I'm afraid there's something, this is triggering something from my past that I've experienced that really caused me some pain. And I'm like, okay, where, where have I felt this before? I'll actually do some investigative work. Where did I feel this? When's the first time I felt this? And usually it is something. I can hear some voice in my head, my dad saying something to me about this or, mm. you know, some voice of accusation or some, just something. And I'll, okay, I'll feel that. I'll be conscious of that. And then I'll recognize this isn't actually about what's happening now. What's happening now, that, that thing, this thing that's going on right now, it's triggering an old thing I haven't really dealt with. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to feel it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it now. I'm going to let myself feel it. And then I'll, I like to get, so there's a meditation practice that I, that I really believe in um, that helps just through the breath work and through taking that focus. This, there's a focus time and there's some mechanisms I, I utilize in this meditation practice that helps calm my nervous system so it literally calms me takes me out of fight or flight mode into the place of rest and it's amazing to create so i firmly believe that every problem is actually an opportunity hmm. i know that sounds like self-help or <laughs> positive thinking stuff i just believe it yeah. i honestly believe that we're here on purpose and everything is a setup for us hmm. um, not in a in a calvinistic predetermined way not like that but in at that life i just believe that life is for us Hmm. Um, that God is for us. And so these things that we're coming up against are opportunities for, for us to grow into who we are and who are we? Hmm. I believe that we are powerful beings. We're the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he turned around and looked at his disciples and says, but you're the light of the world, which I think was news <laughs> to yeah. them. Um, yeah. And he's like, no one takes a lamp and hides it under a bed. Like that's like the idea is like, that's what the problem is though. Mm. So I believe that we're, everything is an opportunity for us to discover our power, discover our essence as human beings, as beings made in the image and likeness of God who is light. And so if it's a problem that's coming up, it's an opportunity to grow into our, our power, not away from it. So I always look at it that way. And I say, okay, okay, this is actually for me. And so I ask the question, how is this for me? And right now, um, everything's fine and I'm in this place of rest. And then that's when creative solutions. So some of my biggest problems have led to my greatest breakthroughs hmm. um, in, in just really me becoming who I am. And it wouldn't have happened at, apart from a problem that I felt like I was in crisis mode and I didn't know how to fix it. So yeah. when, I, when I got into this place of breath work, calming the nervous system, that's when I started to 
it's like it's like there's a there's a chapter in the book that talk about it. we have to become like children again, mm-hmm. um, like learning to imagine and create and play creativity, which is what God I really believe what gave birth to the universe is you have this mind who is totally at rest, totally in love, who then is just free to create, hmm. free to imagine and create, and we are beings made in that image hmm. and likeness. So this is we also create. Uh, if you, I think if you just turn on the news. You'll see who's who's creating the world right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's us, and we're doing yeah. it in real time. So creation didn't just happen, and that's not just a point in history. I believe creation is present tense, hmm. and we're continually creating our reality. Hmm. And this is what we do as beings connected to the source, who are literally the expression of the image and likeness of God in three D space and time. Hmm. And I know that sounds crazy, but that is what we're doing. Yeah, and we they can either be negative or it can be positive, but but really it's energizing when we align with our created purpose, which is I believe love. Hmm. So this is where we begin to come up with solutions, and I've been blown away with the solutions I've come up with that have solved my crisis problem. <laughs> but it did it didn't come by responding to the crisis, but but it came by it came by just coming to a place of rest in which yeah. the creative solution then came to me. I love that idea, like of pausing and stopping and realizing that. The anxiety that I'm feeling right now is coming from some other past experience. Like I've experienced this before and it's mm. triggering something. And I had a Brad Jersak on the podcast a few weeks ago. Totally. And he was talking to us about a little bit about the inner healing movement that he was, that he's involved in. And just mm. that idea that um, when we realize what that past experience is, we realize where that anxiety originally came from, um, pausing, meditating on it, and just asking Christ, like, where, where is God in the midst of all of this that was happening mm-hmm. to me at that moment in my life? Mm-hmm. And allowing that to almost be like a healing presence that comes in mm-hmm. and allows that, kind of lifts that anxiety a little bit. So kind of That's reminded. so good. Um, last question for you, just kind of spinning off what you said earlier about um, gratitude. You guys said that we tend to focus on the things that we don't have, uh, but when we focus on the things that we do have, that can kind of change our perspective and our outlook on things. Um, a little bit more about like, why is that super important for living for a living? And more than that, like if I'm somebody like, imagine I'm somebody who like, I'm always thinking about what I don't have. Like I'm grumbling about, I want a bigger house. I want a better job. I want a nicer car. I want a bigger paycheck. Like that's just ingrained into the way that I think every single day. Like what are some practical steps for me that I can take uh, to begin to come out of that mindset? Um, like if yes. that's just, if that's just like my DNA, like I'm just wired that way because of whatever happened to me throughout the course of my life. Like how do I begin to go about taking small steps to change that? That's yeah, so good. That's Those are great questions. I, well, well, first party question, I'll, I'll address why is it important um, to be, you know, to have this quote unquote attitude of gratitude. Yeah. Um, and I say that cause that's like an overused phrase in the church. So I'm wondering what kind of totally. perspective you bring into that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, I think one of the reasons this is important is because it combats a lie. Hmm. And the, a major lie that we're programmed with from just about every angle, society, religion, I mean, it's just, it's there everywhere. It's this, I believe, it's this lie of lack. Hmm. It's the sense that somehow the universe is lacking, that hmm. there's, that what we need for life is not there. And so this is really where fear comes from. It's the fear of not surviving, of, not, of, of a lack of being. Because what will happen? I won't be able to exist or function. So 
one of the things that uh, being thankful does is it reminds us of the truth of the universe that yeah. every like this is a plentiful universe. And I really believe Jesus tried to really drill this home in this whole like in the beginning of his discourse on the nature of the kingdom, Matthew six specifically. He really wanted his disciples to look at the way nature works, and so yeah. people talk about the word of God and. Uh, what, what what is our basis for authority and knowing what's true and you know obviously in the evangelical world they've made uh the bible which i would say i've said this on the heretic app here i would say it all the time is invented in the whole century <laughs> yep. by a certain group of people but that's a whole other conversation <laughs> <Yep>. but, <laughs> but but the first the first thing we're taught to look at by jesus is not a book hmm. but nature it's yeah. like look look at the birds look at look at how they live Look at um, what's already here right now. Look at the lilies, you know, how they, how, how beautiful they are and how they don't even, you know, it's just, it's the nature of the fabric. And I think if we'll look at just what's natural in the world, we'll, we'll see, we'll see that it, life is abundant. I mean, Mm -hmm. you plant one, one sunflower will produce a field of sunflowers that are like, I don't know, tens of thousands of sunflowers. It comes from one sunflower. It's just this principle of reproduction and, um, of, of just richness. And, and so I think that's when we come back to that. So coming back to gratitude, it helps us see the abundance that we actually have right hmm. now. And, and, and we really do, we're, we're, we're swimming in it. I mean, everything that exists is a vibration, even, you know, quantum science is kind of, um, unpacking this a lot more, but literally everything is all matter is a, it's just a form of vibration. It's all, it's, it's a wave. It's a, it's a, it's a, a sound wave and also come from light as well. And everything is being held into being by this vibration, which I believe comes from the source, yeah. which in the quantum science world, they'll call the unified field, which, you know, gives, gives rise to all forms of matter and energy. And we're literally swimming. In, and, and if we believe that source is love, which mm. I, it's my understanding. God is love. Yeah. Then we're swimming in love, <laughs> literally mm. being, we are the substance of it we are the manifestation of it. And it's not only is it surrounding us, we are that. Mm. And so to, to start realizing the things we actually have, this is just a simple way of putting us back into energetic alignment or frequency alignment with the nature of the way all things are reality. So when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, the word for truth, the same Greek word can also be translated reality. This is mm. the way it is. So, and I really believe that's where he operated from. This is his understanding of, of his, his own self, which is source, essence, manifested here in flesh and blood, space and time. But, but I believe we can do that as well. Like we're just like him. So Jesus mm-hmm. is a mirror of God and also a mirror of us, you know. So he showed us what it meant to be truly human. So as human beings made in the image and likeness of God, we really are these beings in which like we, we're – we are expressions of the source, which is abundant in nature. So hmm. um, to be, to be grateful, to feel, to feel gratitude for things we have helps us come back into alignment with our, our core essence. Hmm. And that also helps us see if we're feeling grateful, if we, if we're noticing what we have, then the things that are unfolding and need to unfold for us to move in on our journey ahead in life we're going to need to be able to see them and notice them. So a lot of folks, there, there are things opening up, there are blessings. It's like if you're walking down the street and there's a hundred dollar bill laying there and you, and you're not even looking for it. If you're just like, 
stressed and, you know, and just, I mean, you won't even see it. Mm. Um, but so many of the creative solutions, whether it be resources or relationships or ideas, all the things that we need are literally surrounding us. And, 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 and by tuning our eyes to the things we have helps us then have eyes for what's out there that we need to notice for, so that we can walk into, um, the openings or the blessings or whatever it is that you want to call it. Um, we're going to be able to, we, we will have eyes for it. The more we actually see what we already have. Mm. Um, but, but folks who are not grateful, who, who have a practice, who are, who are not grateful, uh, tend to miss opportunities every day because mm. they're looking for what they don't have. And so I really believe that whatever you look for, you always find, if you're looking yeah. for problems, you find them. If you're looking for, solutions you find them um if you're looking for the blessings and the things in your life you, you really find them so right. it's it's tune it's just tuning our eyes to look so example up uh, your the second part of your question is like what are practices that we can yeah. do yep um well you know i grew up in a very negative family <laughs> negative <laughs> house uh we're, we're always focused on the problem so i get yep. it it's a challenge um one of the things that um that's a part of my practice. So I have a meditation practice. Uh, so there's three parts of it, but the last part um, is, is, is a part where I move into imagining a future that I want. Hmm. And that might sound crazy, but uh, most people are familiar with worry. Yep. yep. <laughs> and worry is simply imagining a future you don't want. It's the worst case is. scenario. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're just, you're just imagining it. it just, yeah. So it's like, well, if we can imagine the worst case, we can imagine the best case. And sometimes hmm. I'll ask people that what's, when they're having a problem and they're, they're talking about the problem, I was like, well, well just let, let me ask you this. What's the best case scenario that could happen in this? And they're like, what? I'm like, no, I mean, obviously you've thought about the worst case, but can we think about the best? So when, in, in order to really be able to think that way, I, yeah. I, I find that I need to come into a place of gratitude. So I'll just say sort of three things. Like right now, what are three things that I'm grateful for that I have right now that I'm, that I'm just absolutely so thankful that my life, I can't even imagine my life if I didn't have these three things right now. And I would just start to, it calls into focus and I start to feel it. You can actually feel it in your body. The moment you start to think about those three things, you start to feel it. And that's a practice, a very simple practice. Anytime you begin to worry um, about lack in some way, shape or form, I would always instruct people, okay, stop in that moment. Don't beat yourself up or judge yourself for feeling anything. Just recognize it. Okay, yeah, I'm stressed right now. I'm feeling a little worried. It's okay. Right now, I need to shift my focus and my state. Mm. What are three things right now that I'm just so absolutely thankful for? Mm. And begin to feel it. And that's a simple practice you can do any time of the day. Um, and that, what that does is it actually shifts your, so that the, 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 you probably heard of uh, um, neuroplasticity. neuroplasticity yes. yeah. But basically that's, uh, there's so many studies that have shown that you can change. It's there literally there are pathways in the brain hmm. that register th certain thought patterns. And if you have a certain thought pattern over time, it becomes ingrained in your brain. You can change the way your brain is, is wired and structured through changing hmm. your thought patterns. Yep. And they, it even shows up on, on brain scans. And hmm. after about 21 days, it's crazy. We have the ability to shape our, our brains. Yeah. And so, through consciousness. And so um, having a practice like this every day, um, and that's, you know, when I'm doing coaching work, that's one of the things I'm really trying to do is help people establish new practices for a length of time that will actually allow them to change their 
their the way their their brain is wired because after after about 21 days certain pathways and are, are become established and then it becomes very easy to start hmm. thinking. so right now for me to think about I'm not, it's not a bragging. It's just, it's very difficult for me to think about things I don't have. Yeah. It's just not, not a practice. It hmm. used to be very normal though. So until I shifted that form of those, so that's just those pathways in your brain have been paved over after time, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And we have, we're, we are very powerful beings. We, we yeah. literally create our shape the way our, our brain uh, is wired. So hmm. it's, it's unbelievable. Um, what we can do, but yeah, I hope that answers your question there. Yeah, it's really helpful. And I think too, like this is something that's built into, um, I think just humanity. think about like the Torah, think about the Israelites in Egypt, you know, they lived in a place of, of lack for Pharaoh. Everything was lacking more bricks, more, more, this, more, that work harder, do more. And then when God led them out of there, he led them into a place of, um, it's not lack, but there's abundance. Uh, I'm going to take care of you. Um, you don't have to worry about all those things anymore. So I think even if you think about it through that lens, um, you're right. I mean, it's just wired into the way that things are. Yeah. I love that. And even like thinking about the past, you know, um, if you, if you, a healthy way to think about the past is to think about, um, how much, how much you were okay. (laughs) Mm. How many times you were okay. And I love that even the Israelites were taught to create these monuments to their, to their rescue so they mm. remember like hey this is remember where you've come from and you know this is kind of to, to be able to feel that it's important to be able to feel that because in the future when you're creating your future you're going to create it from how you feel in the present um yeah. moment so beginning to feel a certain way leads you to actually experiencing that yeah um which is crazy because mm. I, I think there's some evidence and even you know, to get real technical, like even in the quantum world, they're, they're actually showing evidence that, um, that everything is just information. And so it's what you, how you interpret the information that determines what ends up being created and manifested. Mm. Wow. So that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you much longer because I know you got things to do as well. I appreciate you joining me on a Saturday to uh, record this. Um, but this has been very helpful. Um, I do love the book. I'm going to put it in the show notes so people can go and buy it. Uh, but before you go, where can people go online to find you? We mentioned your uh, podcast. Maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that so people can go hunt it down. Yeah, I'm a part of a podcast called The Heritage Happy Hour, which uh, my publisher uh, uh, produces and with two other, two other uh, co-hosts. And so that's really for, <laughs> that can be a little, you know, it just depends. It's not for everybody. It's, uh, it can be edgy in some ways, but it's really for people that are in the, in the throes of, of spiritual deconstruction. Yeah. Uh, that word is used a lot, but it's, that's really what the Heritage Cap Hour kind of is. And it has a niche for that. Yeah. Uh, so I have my own personal podcast called the love cast that, mm. you know, uh, cause like I said, I'm, I'm a life coach and I'm, that's really where my passion is and helping people come out of states of suffering to, hmm. to, to begin to experience just, just the life, the abundant life. Like, so when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I, he was speaking of right now, like this life, not the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> um, because really, even, even when we die, it's still right now. <laughs> I mean, hmm. It's always now. So <laughs> it's, um, I, I really believe that's my passion. And so I have my personal podcast, the love cast kind of speaks to those things a little more. And, um, and so that people can find me on Apple iTunes at the Lovecast. It's called the Lovecast with Jamal, is the name, the official name of that podcast. And um, 
And then um, I have my own website, jamaljavanji.com, and that has links to the podcast, my coaching page, Free to Love Coaching. It's another website, um, but that's that's linked there on my on my personal website. Hmm. And uh, my new book there is uh, Living for a Living. There's a link to that also on my website. So really, jamaljavanji.com is kind of the hub where people could find. I mean, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, or and Instagram as well. Awesome. And what I love about too, like the, I know you mentioned about the Heretic Happy Hour, and it can be kind of edgy. But what I like about that is the three of you guys are so different. And so yeah. I feel like no matter where somebody is, like they can probably align with at least one of you, <laughs> which well, I think I is really that, cool. Yeah. yeah, that's that's we've heard that. Yeah, the, so it's it's fun. It's a fun podcast. So it is. So people yeah. should go check it out for sure. Uh, so thank you so much for coming by. Uh, this has been awesome, and uh, I'm gonna have you back on again sometime soon. Oh, thanks, Glenn. I appreciate it. It's been great to great to be on the podcast. Thanks, man. You have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye bye. Wish you on a pot and so go with the rainbow. By the time Clancy, wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other same old speed, I'm a chest. Wishing for my people. That was so good, wasn't it? I think this was a good way uh, to kind of end the the Glenn's Friends series. This one was, I feel like this conversation was different than some of the other ones. Um, other ones were more, I don't know, like theologically heavy, you know, talking about heaven and hell and uh, the afterlife and um, the gospel and uh, LGBTQ type stuff. And we touched on some of those things in here. Uh, but I think this was just a really practical episode for me. Um, I love what he said about gratitude. And I was trying to like formulate my question when I was talking to him because it was like a random thought that I had. But just that that idea of, of having a grateful mindset uh, to help you live towards living for a living. Um, and just why gratitude is so important. Because for me, like when I hear that phrase, you know, an attitude of gratitude, I, that's another thing that like makes me twitch. Only because like that was such a used and abused phrase in the church uh, growing up that like almost like if you don't have an attitude of gratitude and you see something that's wrong with your life or the world, like it's almost like shaming, like there's something wrong with you uh, because you don't have that mindset that you should have that Jesus wants you to have. But I think that Jamal really gave us uh, practical steps uh, to take towards kind of integrating gratitude into our lives. Um, and I love that thing that he talked about, about, you know, creating pathways in our brain that the more we think a certain way, uh, the more our brain literally rewires itself to think that way. I think that's fascinating. And um, I love just the meditation practices he talked about. So I have a lot of things that I want to apply to my own life. And uh, I would love to hear from you. So if you want to go on Facebook, uh, find me on there, Glenn Siepert, or just look up What If Project, uh, find me drop a line, whatever, I don't know, whatever the kids are saying these days, go, go reach out to me, uh, share your thoughts about this episode. Uh, what exactly stuck out to you? What are you trying to integrate into your own life? And uh, let's talk about it. I'd love to hear more. So thank you again for dropping by. Um, it's been real. It's been great. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.